Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. In today's episode, I am joined by Christopher Hopper and Matt Hollingshead. Chris is a well-known guest of ours. He's been on the podcast a few times in the past. And if you don't know him, he is a Salesforce recruiter based out of the US and you should be following him on LinkedIn. Matt is the director of business systems for a company called Better Cloud, also based out of the US. And this is part one of a two-part podcast series on interviews. So Matt has hired over a thousand professionals in his career, not all Salesforce, but he is hiring now for a Salesforce professional in the US. So if you like what you hear, definitely reach out to him on LinkedIn too. And Chris and myself, obviously coming in from the recruiter angle, sharing our views on how interviews are conducted, potentially should be conducted, and some of the lessons we've learned along the way. So I hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, make sure you tune in again for part two, which is coming next week and subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. So Matt, Chris, thank you very much for both joining me. Um, are you from separate ends of the country or are you, uh, are you close by? Somewhat um, close. We're in the same country. Yeah, <laughs> in the same country. I don't know, probably a three-hour flight maybe between each other. Yeah, it'll be interesting to know if things are done differently between those three hours or if you both have the same opinions on interviews or if there's different standards in different locations. No, there's usually one standard. It's a good standard. I mean, there's, I guess there's other standards that some people may not want to apply to the interview process. But I think between me, you and, and Matt here, we all talk the same language and see similar patterns and eye to eye on the in this conversation. Yeah, definitely. I'd agree. So Matt, you put up a post recently, which is kind of how we ended up here around um, your kind of opinion on interviews and how they should be run and and having done a lot of them. So I guess what has got you to this point of um, having done so many interviews and and being on a podcast to discuss interviews, how have you become the guy that comes on podcasts to talk about interviews? I've interviewed for about 20 years now. And I I think over the time of interviewing, and I I haven't really worked for a recruiting agency, so I think it's a different perspective coming from, you know, being at a recruiting agency versus just being inside a company. But when there are people you're hiring and there are people you are going to work with, you start to evolve over time. Because once you make a few mistakes here and there, and you see the mistakes that you've made and the people that you're working with, you want to make sure that it's compatible and it's not just one-sided, it's both sides. And, And so I think that's over time, you know, doing it that long it's it's just made me realize that people are just people and what I care about is it's not perfection it's not about finding the perfect candidate it's actually about finding the right candidate that is going to mesh with you well that you can help one another out in your different areas and we've all got weaknesses and I've got my weaknesses and so if they've got strengths where I've got weaknesses great come on and help me out and I can help you excel in other areas that you haven't had the chance to do so yet. Yeah, nice. And you, I think you mentioned previously, you've, you've hired a, around a thousand people. Yeah, I was, I sat back after we talked the other day and, and tried to calculate it. And so I said, let's say plus or minus around a thousand people. That must be how many people you've placed in the last year, Chris. <laughs> a thousand? Yeah, maybe five. <laughs> five thousand. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And Matt, to have hired a thousand people, I'm guessing you've probably interviewed into the the several thousand. So uh, yeah, I guess there there won't be that many people that have done that many interviews over the years. So it'll be really insightful to to understand what goes well, what what doesn't go well. 
But if we look at your expectations, like when, when a candidate is sat in front of you or be that on Zoom or face-to-face, what are you expecting them to know about you, your company, the role? What research should they have done before they even get to that point? You know, it's funny. I, I actually let go of all expectations. I think that's the best way to do it. I have no expectations whatsoever, and <laughs> we'll see what they come to the table with. I would say I'm more impressed when people actually do research, and I feel that way when it's a company I really want to work for. Like I do the research because I'm pretty picky about where I'm going to go and the people and culture that I want to work with. And so I feel like when people do do it, they are showing that they really care about their future and where they want to go. And so I feel like I can have a different discussion with them, but I also wouldn't say that it's a negative against them. If they need some direction in life, again, like I'm happy to provide direction if that's where they need to go. Cause a lot of people just don't know the next step for them and where they can go and the opportunity that lays ahead of them. Sure. And Chris, from your point of view, like I think we as recruiters are kind of judged on how someone does prepare. So I, the other day I had a, a candidate that, they were asked the question, well, what do you know about us as a brand? And like, that's the question you should never get wrong, right? You should at least be able to say what the company does. And this guy just said, he basically regurgitated a little bit of information that I'd told him about the company, but it was really apparent he hadn't done any research himself. And that then kind of makes it look like I haven't prepared him, which in a way, I, I hands up, I probably could have done more, but I, I sent him a podcast with the founder of the company to listen to. And he obviously didn't. So in your experience, do you find that some people just don't take it seriously and don't prepare as much as they should? And and do you find that, because the, the, the hiring manager said to me, it could be an age thing. This was quite a young guy. Maybe that research isn't as important to the, the generation coming through now. Do you find that? For me personally, I've run in that same situation recently, Ben, where the hiring manager asked the job candidate about what you know about us, what do you know about the role? And I had debriefed this individual prior sent them the website, uh, talk to them personally about the services they provide and what they're doing with Salesforce and just from an industry perspective, what they're doing. And either they weren't listening to me or just were involved with other things during that time when I was explaining it to them. And then I also sent the job description a second time and the website and told them to go ahead and take a little time to review this. I don't need a five-page dissertation about what they do, but just at least have a little bit of knowledge because there's a good chance the hiring manager may ask about do you know what we're doing here in order to get a little bit of context around it? And if they say no out of the gate, then it doesn't really, I guess, lay the foundation that the hiring manager is looking for based on these instances that I'm referring to. Now, Matt's a special case here where he may take a different point of view on it, which is great. But occasionally I, I do get feedback from hiring managers about the lack of interest in the organization and in the role. Yeah, definitely. And for you, Matt, so that isn't a no. You know, if you ask that question, what do you know about our business and they don't know anything, that isn't an immediate, like, here's the door? No, it's not. But I do think it's important that as you progress, right? So I'd say there's a difference between having a first interview versus you're going later down the line. That first interview, if you're hoping they have questions. So maybe they don't know, but I remember going through my last interviewing process too. And it's, it's like you go to company websites and you actually still don't know what they do you know, after going through it. And so I kind of like the same, if you don't know, like just ask and then let's go through it. And then I feel like I'm helping shape what the role looks like. Cause a lot of times too, to define every little piece of your role in one little, you know, job description just is really difficult to do. So I hope they do come with those questions at some point in time. It, it, it definitely shows their uh, interest in wanting to join rather than like, this is just another job for sure. 
and by questions you're, you're obviously referring to like how much will I be paid how much holiday do I get right they're the, the questions everyone should ask right <laughs> so there are those questions but I, I care more about like the culture questions um, I had a really good candidate the other day who uh, really took some time to look at our values and those type of questions come up and he asked me like how do you add to the values of your current company and I said that's a fantastic question I had to sit there and think about it like well I sure hope I do let's go through this together <laughs> yeah wow that's actually a really good point because I think interviewing like if you're trusting a manager to interview on your company's behalf then there should be some sort of structure, not not structure to the interview, but they need to know the values, right? Because if someone had asked you that question, and you didn't know the values, then what are values? Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think the the current company I'm with right now, they do a fantastic job of actually focusing on that aspect of it. And so I, I feel like it, it pushes the candidates to want to learn more about the culture and values. And if they haven't had a, that experience of that type of culture, it's like, oh, wow, that's out there. I could change to something different. It's, it's quite appealing. Yeah. And Chris, you must have been on the receiving end of feedback from a candidate when they come out of an interview and they say, the worst one I get is that manager made me feel stupid. I've run into that situation occasionally. And, you know, with interviews, unfortunately, egos come into the picture, right? I think we all need to be candid with ourselves and say that sometimes, especially technical interviews, right? And so, you know, when there's a technical conversation being had and the company doing the interview may want to look prestigious in front of the candidate and the candidate must look prestigious in front of the interviewing panel too. So there is that ego, I think, floating around a kind of unspoken truth during the conversation. And uh, occasionally I do get that, Ben, where, you know, the candidate feels like they were put through the ringer and sometimes it needs to happen from a technical perspective to assess their capabilities, but to make them look inadequate or, um, you know, dumb, I don't think that's, <laughs> that's a good look on the, on the company side either. You know, what's so interesting about that is that ego is coming in trying to define like your best self, right? Like I'm coming in saying this is my best version of myself and the candidate's trying to do the same through an ego way. But the truth is, like, that's not our best self. The best self is just us, just as we are, to be able to talk. And even in a technical interview, I mean, to be able to go through that and be like, hey, you were really great at this, but, like, this piece, like, explain this to me a little bit more and just have a conversation about it is so much more freeing for both parties rather than what you're talking about. Right. right. Yeah, 100%. Form building can be a tedious and complex process when collecting loads of data for enterprises. Solve this issue with ease through FormAssembly, an all-in-one secure web form builder with a robust Salesforce integration. This seamless web-to-lead form building connection boasts features including sophisticated data collection, the option to pre-fill forms, create and update records, and more. Their advanced compliance standards offer prime solutions for companies in the government, FinServe, healthcare, nonprofit, and higher education space. What else? Their soon-to-come feature, FormAssembly Workflow, is built to streamline processes for any organization. Visit www.formassembly.com to find out why FormAssembly is the number one enterprise form-building platform for Salesforce and how it can be customized to fit the needs of your company. How do you prefer to run an interview? Like, Do you have structure? Do you have questions that you always ask or... Do you go into an interview planning what you are going to ask them based on that specific CV? Yeah, it's definitely based on CV and the role. So based on what I'm really looking for and their experience, I'd say I categorize 
most roles within like how much do you know about operations as a whole and business operations versus technical, whether it's Salesforce or a different system. And then if I'm looking for other skills like PM or VA or those other things, those are helpful. And then there's like the soft skill just aspect of it. So based on, I mean, you guys have looked at plenty of resumes. You can look at resumes pretty quickly and go, hey, this person can be, is more marketable. They're more social, <laughs> you know, versus like they're more analytical. So I definitely ask varying questions depending on the candidate. I usually start with the first, you know, the same basic ones once you start though. And it's just, you know, why, what are you ultimately looking for? And what's what, why are you interested in this position is really what I care about first. And then from there, kind of dive into the different you know, streams based on where you need to go. One thing you mentioned, Matt, was how much do you know about X? To me, that's, you know, it's a very open-ended question. And it might be a little intimidating as well at times. Do you, do you kind of, I don't know so much as regret asking that or feel like the candidate may be put in a, in a, in a uncomfortable situation as far as which direction to go with, with that type of question? Um, not necessarily because I feel like you, you get when they are a little insecure, candidates get insecure at times. And I, I think you can actually talk about those insecurities right within the interview instead of like negatively calling them out or just ignoring it. And then you go on for an interview for another 25 minutes for you're just like, you know, this interview is pointless at this point. I try to dig enough and then I'll go back and give them feedback back halfway through going, hey, based on the role that I'm looking for right now, everything that you just told me so far, I'm hearing this part is really fits in well, this part isn't fitting in so well. Can you talk to me more about this part? Because I am kind of looking for this role and what would you do in this type of situation? Kind of give them another chance to go through it. And maybe they just didn't understand the whole way. Maybe I love, love, love when candidates will just say, I haven't had that experience yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. That to me is one of the best responses that they could give because it just shows I'm looking for somebody who's open and willing to grow more than any other skill above all. It sounds like you go into an interview looking for reasons to hire the person, whereas I feel sometimes people go into an interview looking for reasons not to hire the person. It's as if they're setting a trap for people to fall into because they, they're looking for them to prove that they don't have the experience they need for the role. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think some people have that completely different approach? I, I think it's partially just based on my experience. I kind of talked about this earlier. When I first started recruiting, I had to recruit people that would come move to a completely different city and town and live in a similar apartment complex. And that is a hard recruit. <laughs> like it's, it's hard just to get somebody to go work for a company, let alone like, let's completely change your lifestyle. Let's, you know, get your car, everything moved over here. And so we really had to convince. It was very like, you want to come and do this. <laughs> this, this is a good idea. And so um, I think my base has just always been off of that. Whereas if you're in a normal kind of corporate type of setting and all of a sudden you're just used to CVs being thrown in front of you, I think that's just kind of the norm in the recruiting corporate space as a whole. So I just think it's just been different based on my past experience. Yeah, I think some sometimes companies, and Chris, you may have experienced this as well, like take pride in how difficult it is to pass their tests. Yes, for sure. And, and I know the bar is high sometimes and that's the way the companies operate and they want the best of the best. And I'm not here to judge or to, to, to fault them for that. If that's how they want to go with their hiring process, you know, and then the day, Ben, you know, they need our help. Right. And they're willing to pay us a recruiting fee to be able to find that prestigious candidate. Right. And so if they have the bar set up at that, 
at the end of the day, it's our job to be able to meet that expectation. And so whenever I get feedback and continue to get feedback, it's like, nope, no, no, continue to get no's. I'm like, all right, well, this is, you know, this is where we're at. And I, they kind of let me know up front, you know, here's what I'm looking for, Chris. And this is why I'm using your services to find me that. Maybe a little bit different for Matt and, you know, the way that he operates, if he's using his internal recruiting team. And I think it's just a different level of expectation, Ben, a lot of times when they decide to go external to recruiting and pay a fee for our services, that gives them the quote unquote luxury to get the best of the best a lot of times because they're willing to pay the additional fee to do so. But Matt, surely when you come up with the requirement, right, so you're like, this is what ideally I need, but there must be areas that you can flex and, and say, well, actually, that kind of was a, a nice to have that part. And if I can't find someone with that, but they've got this, then, then it would still work. Yeah, and I think it's based on the need, like, uh, a lot of it comes down to, do I have the capacity to train that individual on these particular skills that they're missing? Or, or don't have as much right now? And like, how much can I personally invest in them versus I'm down three, four people right now. I actually need really experienced bodies. So I, I, it definitely fluctuates. And, and I think what Chris is saying, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because from a recruiter's view and hiring recruiters in the past, my expectation actually does change a lot because you are kind of paying this premium to go like, hey, I've done my efforts or I actually really don't have time. So I need you to go find this person because I don't have the capacity right now to really have somebody come in that I have to babysit for X amount of time to get up to par. So yeah, I think it's situational. It does change. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I think people come to us as well because they want the insight on the market because sometimes you won't know what's realistic because you know your job isn't to be scouring the market, talking to people and, and finding out you know what's available or for, for the salary you're paying, what, what can you actually get? So I think it's on us to to be really informative and also, you know, to consult, right? We're recruitment consultants, therefore give guidance and show what's what's available in the market. And and what you mentioned there around like if you're if you are being flexible and you you know you're not gonna get exactly what you want, but you you're gonna have to work with the candidate and you've got enough time to do that. Are you clear with the candidate on like are you are you telling them like this is where your gaps are and I'm this is what I'm gonna do to help support you? Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, actually, I had a candidate the other day, I literally walked through the roles and responsibilities that I planned on them going through versus the other teammates to let them know, like, I feel like based on our interview so far, like you'd be really good at this, this and this, this is the area that I have the biggest concern. And so I've just got to compare you to these other candidates to really go like your gaps versus the other ones, like, where does it make sense? But then I'm able to switch the conversation and just go, hey, worst come to worst, though. If you're not the candidate that I'm going to end up choosing, this is the advice I'm going to give you. Like, if you are able to focus on those skill sets right here, you're going to be an all-star. You're going to be able to continue. So go get two more certs if you need to. Go get a PM certification if you need to, like those type of things. And the conversation then switches to just like, okay, great. Maybe I don't get this, but it's something's going to work out. Like the market for us, Chris, has been crazy over the last however many months. And and like we're seeing people move for the wrong reasons or, you know, chasing certain things and um, and getting them as well in this market because there's so much demand. Matt, have you, does that come through in an interview? Like if you're sit, sitting in front of someone, can you immediately tell if they're there for the wrong reasons? Not necessarily. No, I, I think it goes back to the original question of their interest level overall. And if they're really like, sometimes it's, it seems like lately I've had a lot of needs more than anything. Like somebody's moving elsewhere or the visas, like where somebody needs a visa, like there's a lot of like, I, I need to go get another job because I've got a visa that needs to be renewed. So you definitely see those. 
I, when it is all about money, I usually see that closer to the tail end of the interview process, not necessarily the beginning. And that's always rough when you've got a good candidate you're going through. And then all of a sudden it's like Jekyll and Hyde, but I think you can get that on the candidate side or the interviewee side too. You can be like best friends. And then all of a sudden, like (laughs) it becomes business really, really quick. So, yeah. Yeah. And Chris, another recruitment related one, but I know the pain of having someone accept an offer and then pull out. And I, I think like that's one of the the, the true, they, they call um, recruitment champagne and razor blades, right? That's the true razor blade moments where you've done everything, you've gone through the whole process and someone just pulls the pin and changes their mind. Is that something you're seeing a lot in the market at the moment? Like a, a lot of people kind of, you know, committing and then uncommitting and, and going through those weird phases? On my side, it happens occasionally. I haven't seen it really be a, an uptick over the last three or four months, Ben. Most people that have gotten through the final stage and the offer was presented, they've accepted. I've had a few fall out. One guy I was planning to start the, one, the Monday. I think he called me on the previous Thursday, told me he decided to go a different direction on me. You know, I can take that conversation. It, it stings a little bit, but... It's, it's, it hurts me more to deliver it to the hiring manager than anything else, right? I think that's where I feel the most um, the most amount of anxiety to have to deliver that message. But when I delivered that to the hiring manager a few weeks ago, I was like, Chris, okay, we get it. It's better to know now before bringing him on board within a few weeks and then losing him to another position then. So I think, you know, luckily the hiring manager understood the market conditions right now that this is going to happen occasionally. And was essentially a blessing in disguise when we looked at it. So, you know, I was grateful that he was willing to take in, take that conversation for what it was worth and uh, for us to, to move on and find someone else. Yeah, and I think it's actually, it's great to have Matt to, to give the other side of the story because I try to explain to people, well, like the ramifications of you pulling out so late are great on the, the company, like on the hiring manager and the team are significant and I have my opinion on, on why that is. But Matt, from you, if, if, if you were expecting someone to be starting next Monday, how much goes into having that person onboarded and, and like the, getting their systems and things like that set up? I don't know if it's actually happened to you, but like, does it have big consequences on your ability to deliver your role and, and the projects and the work that you're working on effectively? So far, the trend I've seen from just companies as a whole is you definitely wait to like the last minute to get them their tech and get them everything they need to just get on board. Cause there's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a higher risk overall. I mean, there's multiple factors that come into it. Like just a couple of years ago, I had somebody start and their retirement was ending like a month and some odd days later. And they're like, can I have a, can I start in a month? And I was like, well, this is a risk. <laughs> and he started and, he's, and I'm so glad he started, but it created a lot of anxiety. Like, do I repost? Do I keep looking for other people? Like, what do I do if 30 days is a, is a long time? So yeah, we definitely didn't set him up off the get go. But also I, I think that helped too, because I proactively found him. I think there's a difference between sourcing people versus people are actively looking for a new job. So when you're actively looking like you want to start and you're kind of looking for the best thing when you're being sourced and you feel appreciated and you're not looking elsewhere, like the risk goes significantly down. Sure. I I did a podcast with a a gentleman in India recently and and they have three month notice periods. And he was saying that with the amount of demand in India in the Salesforce market at the moment, they wouldn't know until one hour before the candidate is due to start if they're actually going to start the role. Wow. 
he said they just keep looking for three months, like a developer will just keep looking and they'll, they'll keep interviewing through their notice period. And, you know, it, like he's had his HR and, and recruitment team in tears on multiple times on a Monday morning where people just don't show up or they haven't alerted them at all. But my, my view on it is like, it's, it, yes, it's the tech, but the, the biggest challenge is that the hiring manager then goes back to square one because all of the other candidates that were in the process have been told that they were unsuccessful and they've yeah. continued looking for other roles. And, and you have to start that whole process again, which, you know, if, if there's another notice period involved, that's another 30 days plus the, or in Australia, I know it's two weeks there, plus all the interviewing time, you know, it can be six weeks to find someone and get them started again because yeah. you left it last minute before telling them. Yep. Yep. Agreed. You know, and you bring in a totally different perspective we haven't talked about is just the international, like last company I was with being in the UK and seeing the process they had to go through it was very similar. Like you've got a lot of three month notices. That's just the lifestyle though. It takes the UK like 10 months to get into a new house. <laughs> you know, we're in the States. We're like, I don't know, give me 30 days and I'm over here. So I, it's, there's cultural challenges <laughs> as well depending on where you go that's interesting though, yeah India. yeah it's crazy well thank you so much thank you for joining us everyone knows where to find chris by now um, but where can people find you if they have any questions you know linkedin is the best spot as well hit me up on linkedin and i'm, I'm pretty active on there awesome well thank you both really good chat right thanks for having us ben we appreciate thanks, it ben. thank you Matt. thanks chris thank you for listening to another episode of talent hub talk if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. Um, we're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us do that.